The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined, as always, by my co-host in the city of brotherly love, Chris Smalls Angelos. Smalls, we made it to another Memorial Day week. It's, it's Memorial Day weekend. This is when, you know, coaches, they're just making a pilgrimage wherever you are. You're going to the beach. You're going to your lake house. Maybe you're going to the city, see your boys, have a couple adult sodas. I mean, we kind of joke about this, Smalls, but this is really like this is it for coaches. It's got, guys are kind of away from campus, and this is kind of your last long weekend to really enjoy yourself, either with your family or your friends. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, maybe you're on your boat in uh, Cleveland. You know, you never know where you are. Uh, yeah, Todd McGinnis lost our phone number so quick after the podcast. Like, he wasn't like, hey, let's go out on Lake Erie, buddy. I got a 28-foot bay liner. Like, let's go have some beers. He he was kind of like, yeah, my boat's amazing. And then we text and call him. We just hear nothing. Like, it's just <laughs> No, no, it's it's good. Yeah, it's it's definitely a big weekend for, you know, coaches. Get out. You hang out with your family. Like you said, maybe you let the dad bod loose. and. uh we all know how that goes. We got some hard oak coaches who are like working out. They're eating all healthy. Most coaches, let's be honest, eating fast food, maybe play a little golf, let the love hang- handles hang. Whatever happens, happens. Memorial Day is great. It's a great time to hang out with the family, and it's a great time to listen to some podcasts on your way down to the shore. I would say, too, one of the really interesting parts about you know what you're saying about dad bod is that if we went to like... If we were to go to BovadaSportsbook.com and we were to type in, like, how many coaches are eating really well after the Final Four, it is not a lot. Like, by the time Memorial Day weekend rolls back around, coaches are like, oh, shit, I have to take my shirt off again. Like, all year I've been eating fast food on the road. It was just the live period. It was the Final Four. I'll start later. And all of a sudden, it's May 15th, and you've only got 10 days to get back into shape. So here's what we know, Smalls. we got a lot of coaches that are doing the Create Your Shot workout plan. That's called sauna for 10 minutes, then go for a swim in the pool for 10 minutes, then hop in the hot tub for 10 minutes, little sauna, pool, hot tub, three rotations, 60 minute workout. You'll be feeling unbelievable, but you got to do it every day. Yeah. Where where was that invented, by the way? Uh, Puerto Rico. San Juan, Puerto Rico. (laughs) That's where it was invented. There was a little thing called the sauna, pool, hot tub. You know, you get your body super hot, but then you cool it down with a pool. And it's not really a swim. You don't want to be intense about your swim. You almost want to glide through the water, maybe give it a little float action. And then you're going in the hot tub. You're reheating yourself. You're popping out. You get a nice little jog over to the sun, and you're like, why am I going heat to heat? Well, heat to heat is actually going to help you because that's heat water versus just that hot steam opening your pores. The water is always going to cool you down 60 minutes. It's a lot tougher than a treadmill. Uh, so get after it, coaches. You'll lose like 25 pounds in, uh, in a day. Un- unbelievable workout plan. Like you said, you got to keep your pace up when you're going between the uh, stages of the workout. So between the sauna, between the pool, between the hot tub, make sure it's brisk. But you're exactly right. It's a great way to, if maybe, you know, maybe you're calling, uh, you're calling Curtin and you're at the OD and, you know, you wake up on Saturday morning, you got to get ready to go again. Maybe do a little abbreviated sauna, pool, hot tub, get some of the toxins out as well, get in shape, but also get you ready for your day. So, just a little create your shot advice from it's uh, free. It's free too. It's a free workout. How many workouts do you see? You have to pay. You have to oh buy this PDF. You know, here you go. This is a, an article, and it starts off with saying this is the key. And then you got to read more. You got to pay a little subscription. Not with us. 
You just listen, you get free tips. No, and that's like I said, that's that's what we do. You know, honestly, we we give you great tips for Bavada, and we give you free workouts because that's kind of what we provide. It's two guys that have been doing it for a long time, but. We do have a guest on this show. We keep just burying that in these intros as they get more and more out of control. Sean Morris, he is an assistant at uh, Quinnipiac and a guy that has been around the Northeast for a long time. Here's another tip, Smalls. If you want to be a Division One assistant or a Division Three head coach, you got to work at Williams at some point in your career. If you don't work at Williams, you got no shot. And Sean, assistant at Williams, now he's at Quinnipiac. I don't know if they're related, but it just seems like Williams is popping up all over the place. Williams might get thousands of applications now that you said that. Just kidding. They'll get eight from the eight guys who listen. But it's the truth. I mean, uh, you can really see a trend in Division One, especially, I mean, we spend a lot of time in the Northeast, you know, on this podcast, being that's where we're situated mainly or where we're from. Uh, you can see the success coming from Division Three to Division One. You know, it tends to uh, spawn out a couple, couple of schools, and Sean's no different. Um, you know, you got his start and really had a great chance to mature in the division one level, go back to D three, back to division one. I think that's what really intrigues me. Another guest where we're talking about that transition D one to D three to back to D one and how that really helps because there are so many elements that coaching at small colleges or lower divisions, especially at that high, high level can really make you a better coach, make you on top of it, and even make you more of a Swiss Army knife. I think that's what we've really found uh, through the lower level of coaching, uh, small college-wise, and then going into Division One. And, and I would say, too, Swiss Army knife's a really good word and a really good way to describe Sean. You know, he was a guy that came recommended from a couple other people that we had known, but a, a guy that played at Lycoming. Shout out to Mike McGarvey. He's a guy that worked at Towson as a volunteer. Then he was an ops guy at Towson, then finally an assistant. And then, like we said, went back to Williams, going from the CAA over to you know the NESCAC, and then gets a shot at BU. He's associate head coach, decides to go with Baker Dunleavy to point of PIAC, and that's kind of where he is now. And I think you know the ability to do a lot of different roles and experiencing different roles at different levels and different conferences you know, it's a guy that finally, when he gets to a job like Quinnipiac, which is one of the best low major jobs in the country, bar none, unbelievable facilities, great resources, you know, he's ready to really, really thrive. And I think kind of here in his journey, it makes total sense. Like, all right, why would you leave BU, which is a good job? Like, why were you ready to go? And then, you know, we kind of hear what his decision was and, and why he made it and, and why Quinnipiac's a really good fit for him. Yeah. And Quinnipiac, you mentioned one of the best, you know, uh, you know, low major jobs type of situations like if you're looking for a great bet on bovada and if they got you know who's going to win their conference each conference quinnipiac's got a great shot they are set up um like you mentioned resources facilities recruiting they've got a really good shot to be very good uh baker dunleavy at the helm but i know just speaking of sean he's excited about the season he's excited about what they're building and it's exciting to hear you know, starting kind of afresh with Baker Dunleavy and how they're working to build up that program uh, back up to the top of the league. Yeah, and it's always one of my favorite things to talk to guys who have been at a, a couple different schools but have spent a, a longer amount of time at their different stops. You know, when you talk to guys that have been places like one year, one year, one year, one year, it's harder to kind of ask them like, hey, what went into this decision? Because a lot of times it's like, hey, I just want a better job. I just want a better job. I just want more money. I just want more stability, whatever. You know, we've talked about this a lot. But, you know, Sean at Towson for, for four or five years, I believe, 
at Williams for a few years, at BU for a while, and then just decides like, hey, I'm going to go to Quinnipiac. I'm going to go with Baker. Like, we're going to figure this out, you know, and, and goes from an associate head coach position to just an assistant and, and works with some guys that have been on staff for a while and, and have been head coaches before. And it's just, it's interesting to talk to guys about kind of where their mindset is for like, okay, I'm going to move, right? Like, and it's not a, it's not a far move. I'm still in my same footprint or whatever. And, you know, obviously he's been in the mid Atlantic to the Northeast for most of his career, but it, it, like you said, Smalls, like this is a guy that worked UMass basketball camp back in the day. Damn right he did. That's where I met him. Yeah, I was just 12, but I remember I remember Coach Spell. And he, it was funny. I texted you, hey, going to get Spell on the podcast. And what did you say? I said, are you got to hook up with Eric Spolstra? I thought we were, I thought we were really like, we were just dropping, <laughs> we were just dropping hammers for the rest of the I time. got you so excited. Like, I didn't even realize it, but. You thinking it was Eric Spolcher was hilarious. And if I had been, you know, in a better, like, you know, state of mind, I would have played that up for about two days until the day of the podcast. I would have had you prep Eric Spolcher. <laughs> I wish you had done that. You only let me go on about it for like 20 minutes. And then I was like, wait, what? How, what's going on? And you were like, no, no, no. His, this is nickname. And I was like, all right. So you got to ask him about that, obviously. And, uh, you know, it's funny because you're a nickname guy, too. So I, I kind of appreciate that. I got one more thing before we go into it, Smalls. Series finale of Game of Thrones. You and I, neither one of us, although you tell all our friends that you do watch Game of Thrones, ne- neither one of us actually watches Game of Thrones. So I'm going to we'll, we'll see if our friends actually listen to the podcast because I'll just keep calling them, uh, you know, about I basically read Twitter and. Just go, man, that season was a real letdown. You just speak in generalities and, you know, people you know, tend to gravitate towards that. Uh, tell, them, tell them, oh, my God, what? I mean, they set up the whole season. There was never a ah moment. There was never like that really, you know, stamp of approval in this season. And that's what I'll keep doing. And I'll keep trolling everybody. Because Game of Thrones, who cares? How about this, Smalls? I actually won a little money on Game of Thrones last night. Somebody sent me an article that was, and I don't watch the show either, but somebody sent me an article that uh, Bran Stark, so spoilers, I should have said that earlier. Spoiler alert, turn off the episode right now for <laughs> fast forward 30 seconds if you haven't watched Game of Thrones yet, but Bran Stark to get to win the throne. So I went over to uh, Bovada and I was like, hey, I don't know anything about this show, but what I do know is that Vegas isn't wrong about stuff like this very often. So we threw a little discs on Bran Stark, and then this morning, didn't watch the episode, kind of went on Twitter and was like, oh, man, these people are freaking out. Went back to my account this morning, we had $25 more in it. So <laughs> Stark, I don't know if you were a good character or not, but I appreciate what you did for me. So that's, our, that's, that's Talking Thrones. So now, you know, it's safe for you to turn it on again. So 30 seconds-ish, no big deal. But, uh, you know, I guess that's it for us on the intro, Smalls. I, I appreciate everyone who listens. If you want to troll us because we just spoiled the Game of Thrones se- series finale for you, you can get at us on Twitter at Create Your Shot, uh, Instagram, Create Your Shot Pod, Facebook, we are Create Your Shot, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. As always, uh, leave us five stars, but then in the review, write that you hate us for spoiling Game of Thrones, and that way that'll pop us up the rankings. But don't leave us one star. That's not very nice. If you like what you hear, obviously, please do leave five stars. If you do that, send us a screenshot. I'll send you a koozie. And uh, other than that, enjoy this interview with Sean Morris, uh, assistant men's basketball coach for uh, at Quinnipiac. And uh, we appreciate everyone who listens.
right, welcome on Sean Morris, assistant men's basketball coach for the Quinnipiac Bobcats. Uh, we mentioned this in the intro, too. It is Memorial Day week, so you're coming up on a little bit of a long weekend, but we just talked about how your guys are back uh, back at Quinnipiac for the summer. But uh, we appreciate you joining us, and how are you today? No problem, guys. I'm doing yeah, absolutely. good. Absolutely. So for you guys, this is you know, coming off your second season. Uh, and four win improvement over your first season. You finished 16 and 15, actually started a little bit rough and then great, had a really good conference season. But as you've had some time to reflect on your second season, how do you feel like it went? Uh, I think the craziest part now is just realizing you've already done two years here at Quinnipiac. I think when we took over the program, uh, the really interesting part for me was being at a place that you're totally kind of in a bit, little bit of a rebuilding mode. So how you do that, you know, I think the first month was just work as hard as you can, figure stuff out as you go. And, you know, I think we made some mistakes. We did a lot of stuff. We recruited a ton of kids. And then now you go through that first season, then you kind of start to get your bearings of where you are. And now year two uh, was a big change for us when we got Cam Young back and the NCAA gave him an additional year. So we went from, you know, thinking you're going to be super young your second year to now all of a sudden having a chance to be picked towards the top of the league because you have a player of his stature. Yeah, and, and now actually going into your third year, come, like I think it's interesting you said the differences between your first and second year. As you go into your third year and you start your summer session, which is your third time around, like what are, what are some of your goals and anticipations for this next season coming up? I think the big thing for us, like we're a huge a uh, program that's built on, you know, player development, trying to be able to get your guys better, knowing you have the spring and summer to be able to do that. Uh, I think you have guys that just in our short two years of being here, we've been able to kind of show players what we think they need to get better at, get the buy-in from them and be able to see consistent improvement. If you look at, you know, guys like Cam Young's percentages, Rich Kelly's percentages, we, a lot of that they developed during the spring and summer. So knowing that's a big foundation of our program, it's, it's fun this time of year because you get on the court, you got guys that love to be in the gym and you can see them get better. Uh, and I think now though, you just have such a much bigger comfortability factor with the players you have, the system you have in place. So everyone is more on the same page at this time of year uh, than we would be, you know, last spring or the spring before that you mentioned starting in, in essentially a rebuilding mode uh coming in as a new staff and you know maybe making some mistakes but essentially having a blank canvas to work on what's the biggest difference from that first month and maybe even that first entire year to now as a coaching staff uh, I think we have figured out kind of what our niches become both in a recruiting standpoint how we play within our league because you know you're going to match up with different teams that you play against different ways. Uh, I think just even as a, a staff knowing each of our roles of how to work with each other because we've never, none of us have really been on a staff with each other uh, at previous places. We were kind of all new together. So being able to learn and grow and get to know each other from a relationship standpoint and then now basketball wise, uh, it's just continually you know, being around each other, being around your players and getting your program going in the direction you want it to go. How did, and I'm going to use the worst buzzword in coaching here, uh, the most general and a term that I probably get annoyed with too, but how did Coach Dunleavy kind of institute the culture 
of Quinnipiac basketball. Being that this was his first chance as a head coach, how did he establish that, and how has that grown throughout the three years? Uh, I think the biggest thing is trying to figure out the right uh, players to, for our place with the system we want to do. Uh, but first and foremost is kind of developing relationships with our guys. Obviously, coach coming from Villanova after winning the national championship, he had a pretty good blueprint of what works and what doesn't work. Uh, but I think the interesting part for uh, Coach Dunleavy, too, is like, you know, you worked for Jay Wright, you played for Jay Wright, but your dad's Coach Magic Johnson for the Lakers, your brothers played at Duke and been in the NBA. So, just the conversations he probably gets to have at the holidays or in the summer to base his basketball mentality and coaching mindset. Uh, it's just a, not another way that he can kind of get a glimpse and give you some of the same things of what works, what doesn't work and understand too, as we're moving about it with our staff that some of these things that we're going to do aren't going to work and we're going to learn from them and be able to kind of improve them. Sean, as you, you were at BU for six years, associate head coach by the time you left. Was it a difficult decision to take on a, a new job and, and to leave a place that you were pretty clearly very comfortable at? Uh, it, it was. You know, Boston was a place that my wife and I loved living there. When we first went there, it was the two of us. And then, you know, during the time of it, you know, we were there, had one kid, then had two kids. So you start thinking a little bit different when you have family. So, getting out of this Boston in the city and uh, being able to get a different chance to move as a younger family was something that was enticing to us. But also the biggest thing for me from a coaching standpoint, whether you, know, you have an associate head coach title, assistant coach title, I really, you know, I don't think you're in this for all of a sudden all the titles you're going to have, unless you get the one that <laughs> is the head coach. Sort of one. <laughs> you know, that's right. the one that really yeah. something. But the big thing for me was being able to just still learn from somebody else. And I have a ton of respect for coach Dunleavy getting to know him, you know, cause coach Jones was an old Jay Wright assistant coach from Hofstra and Villanova. So you had that Villanova basketball tree that I got to learn under and getting another uh, guy that I could learn different things from. Cause I think when you're a younger coach, you know, the more you can learn from different people, be around different head coaches, experience different things, the better you become. When you, when you yourself. did, you know, eventually get the job, your first couple months on the job, you specifically, I know you were talking about trying to like build a culture within the staff. What did you specifically want to focus on? Like if you had a little punch list of like three to four things that you thought were really important when you got to Quinnipiac to carve out your own niche, like, could you kind of tell us what those were or kind of what your thought process was going in? Uh, a big thing for us was being able to, uh, you know, like everybody, but we had to recruit. We had, I think, four or five kids transfer. Both kids that they had signed got out of their letters of intent. So I think we ended up bringing in six or seven kids in like a month and a half standpoint. So that first month and a half was just on the phones, on the computer, kind of talking to anyone and everyone about who's available kind of, and, and for us too, having a plan that it wasn't going to be something to make us better in the next two months. It was going to be what sets us up to be better for the next three to four years. So we made a lot of decisions based on moving forward down the future, not just right away. Uh, and then being able to get, uh, you know, uh, familiar with the current players you had on the roster now, you know, getting in the gym with them, spending some time with them off the court and just so you develop that relationship. So 
they start to be able to trust you that, you know, you're going to be able to look out for them and help them get better as well. Yeah. And recruiting, we know that as pretty much, if you're not like an absolute X and O's guy kind of coach, I mean, that's kind of fading. Now you have to be a very good recruiter. Where did you kind of get your, I, I guess I want to put it in this way. where did you get your chops in recruiting and really learn how to recruit and, uh, did that happen at BU or did that happen prior for yourself? Uh, that was one thing that I learned early on kind of in the business, especially talking to different people, but you kind of got in as like, all right, you're going to be a recruiter. You're going to be a basketball type guy. You're going to be this, you're going to be that. And like, for me, I never played division one. Like, you know, I played division two for a year, then division three didn't necessarily understand all of how the division one level worked. So I just thought you kind of tried to develop yourself as many different areas as you could. Uh, but I think recruiting is all about just relationships and just knowing uh, who fits for what type of school you're at. You know, because I think there's a lot of coaches that make the problems they make are trying to fit kids that they know don't belong at their campus just because they think they could help them on the court or someone else rates this kid a certain level player and they think, Oh, well, I got to go by that. You know, I think everything's about the fit and the type of player that you need for your school, your system. And I think for me, I've tried just being smart about that is one aspect, but then developing the relationships of the people that help you throughout it, you know, be a good person, you know, have a tight knit group of people that you can trust and call upon. Uh, and then be able to know how to be able Sean, to I wanted to ask yourself. real quick, you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of like recruiting rankings and you're in an area where there is just a ton of great basketball players and you have to get out and kind of evaluate and trust the people that are in your circle. How do you feel like you got better as an evaluator? So maybe, you know, there are guys that do a great job, like New England recruiting for it. Adam Finkelstein does an awesome job. He sees a ton of kids, you know, Steve Taylor, national recruiting report, like they do a really good job. But when did you kind of, you know, or how did you get better as an evaluator so you could not only like look at those reports, but also go on your own to a lot of different places and be like, you know what, these are kids that we know fit. When, when did that kind of that switch flip for you? Uh, I think when I left Towson being on the road there, when I left there as an assistant and kind of didn't know what I was going to do and ended up uh, going up to Williams college and working with Mike maker. And all of a sudden you're at a division three school. I think our recruiting budget while I was there was a thousand dollars. So you weren't <laughs> like you, you, he was spending his own money most of the time. Like can't money he'd make from camp would be how, cause he came from such a division one background. He's like, it, it, Williams is a special place where it'd be unbelievable to realize the amount of people that'll email you film. You know, you watch so much film yeah. at, in your office of kids that were interested in you you'd go to a ton of Ivy league elite camp academic camps. But I think at a place like that, it's so specific as to what type of kid you need, what type of kid you can get academically that, and being around him who, when he worked for coach beeline for so long, they just had a certain eye for certain things you look for for player development and evaluation wise that, you know, being around him and listening to him talk about it was huge. Uh, listening right now with like Baker talk about Coach Wright's philosophy with it. That's where I feel like right now I'm so fortunate is like two, the last three guys I've worked for are two guys that have been assistants for Coach Wright and then Mike Maker, who was with Coach Beeline. I think if you look in college coaching right now, 
Coach Beeline and Coach Wright, they're two of the best guys doing this. So I feel very lucky to be a part of learning that's, from that's guys actually really funny because i was talking to somebody today about like john beeline and how would he somebody asked me like did i think he'd be successful in the nba and i said the the one thing that he was like better at i thought than anybody and, and jay wright definitely fits this mold as well is like those guys just evaluate their ass off they work really hard they find kids that are i mean we've seen it with jay wright like he just picks kids that fit his system for a while he got a ton of mcdonald's all americans and you know the program wasn't exactly where he wanted to be and then he was just like you know forget it i'm gonna find guys that can play for me and I think that's like one of the best things like that, that I guess like head coaches, like having that sense of self is just unbelievable. It just makes you so much better at your job. Yeah. And I think those guys, you know, and any coaches, whether it's them or, you know, high school coaches, division three coaches, I think when you start to become comfortable with yourself and trusting like what you see, knowing that that fits for you, is there's probably some of those guys that went and played for Coach Wright or Coach Beeline that are in the NBA right now that if they would have went to a different school, they might be playing over in Lithuania right now. So you never know what fit fits with right what kid until he gets into that environment. But as coaches, I think we all know that we see certain things that we like maybe that the guy next to you when you're watching the same game doesn't like. And so if you're not afraid to follow up with phone calls or check in on guys when, you know, you don't see them in a top 25 list or things like that, that you got to be able to trust yourself. Yeah. And trusting yourself going from division one to division three is really interesting. I want to stay on that subject just a little bit. Was there ever a moment of doubt where you like, what am I doing here going from division one, maybe to division three? Am I going to stay here? Because you know this too. It's very rare that you come back and you go D3 back to D1, right? But it's worked out for you. Was there ever a you know, moment of doubt for you? And how did you kind of overcome that and just take it full head, full head of steam? Yeah, cause, well, because mine was interesting being while well, I was at Towson with Coach Kennedy, is like volunteer ops guy to they create like a part-time position so you're there for two years and then got promoted to be an assistant coach and was probably one of the younger assistants in the CAA when it was, league was better yeah George Mason you know so it was BCU Old Dominion and those people it, it was an unbelievable league and to see that when you first get into your first job I was like holy hell these guys are talented but then, uh, you know, we didn't have the success we necessarily probably needed to have at Towson. I was probably going to have to move back into like an operation spot and was like, ah, no, I'm good. I'll figure it out. I don't need to. But young, naive, you know, 24 year old coach. And then all of a sudden realize it's May. There's not a lot of jobs still open in that time. And then wasn't sure if I wanted to keep coaching and went on a couple different actually job interviews, went and did like was going to take a job with like a medical sales company in Philly and live there, but just didn't want to commit to doing it. And somehow there was a, got a phone call from a friend that uh, a job had opened up at Cornell. And I called another guy I knew really well. I was like, Hey, I was trying to talk to coach Donahue and they're like, Oh, well he's already hiring someone for that spot. But the guy at Williams is going to have it. And I actually met Coach Maker. He recruited my youngest brother to West Virginia for Coach Beeline uh, when he was in high school. So long story short, uh, you get a phone call from a friend, connects you to him, and then I know I'm going up to Williamstown to look at the school. And I was just amazed at you know, the type of place it was, the type of people you had there, 
uh, and took the job with him. And it was really what probably changed my, totally my coaching career is going to learn from him. It was like a, you know, 25, 26 year old internship, so to speak, is you weren't, you weren't making any money. I was living in like a college house with three 21, 22 year olds that their first job out of college was there as uh, assistant coach. Uh, but it was like basketball 24 uh, seven in the office, out to dinner, you know, having beer, whatever it was. And it really just changed my whole outlook on how to look at the game, coach the game, review it. Uh, and the first year I was there, we lost in the national championship. The second year I was there, we lost in the final four. And because of the success we had there, Coach Maker knew a ton of people and Coach Jones got the BU job and he was working for Steve Donahue at BC and Steve and Mike are best friends. So he gave Mike my name and, you know, the next thing I know, I'm going to interview with him in Boston, you know, two years <laughs> Sean, later. you actually went on other job interviews. Did you do that because you were like, I don't know if I want to coach or I don't know if I'll get a coaching job. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Cause I, I was like, there was, I don't know if this is, this is the thing I really wanted to do, you know? Cause I was like, it can't be that hard for me to get another assistant job. And I had no idea of the business. That was the part where you, there's certain situations for every coach. Like you get hit in the face with like, this is what the business is. You Reality. Say, you know, is <laughs> in that certain situation. And then you're like, this is really what it is. So you got to figure out, is this what I want to really do? Or do I want to go do something else? And there was a bigger part of me at that point that wanted to do something else. But the game brings you back in interesting ways. And well, let's, let's, let's go all the way back for a second. You, you played at Lycoming. Uh, you know, Mike McGarvey's a good friend of the show. And a current head coach there, you were a good college player. Did you know you wanted to coach right away? Or were you kind of one foot in, one foot out, like right after you graduated from college? No, I wanted to coach. I knew I wasn't going to be good enough to play by any means after I was done. Uh, I love doing it. I love being part of a team and just coaching, especially early on, was going to be something, especially if I could get linked up with a grad assistantship or something to be able to get my master's was going to be one of the first and foremost things. And then, you know, I started going about certain things. I was with my youngest brother. I went out with his AAU team to Vegas uh, with, and sat on the bench with their team and got to meet some coaches that way and then realized like, hey, this might be more feasible and got a phone call from a friend of a friend who said, hey, the guys at Towson are looking for someone they don't, but you know, they don't have a real spot. I was like, that's fine with me. So I went down, interviewed, got the job. Uh, actually, thank God our, our friend squirrel uh hooked me up with his sister's friend from college just had bought a house in baltimore so i ended up living with two girls i lived in the basement paid them like <laughs> cash per month while i like, bartended and was a waiter in inner harbor on the side while i was the ops guy at towson and we can't say squirrel's real name because exactly. he is so under the radar yeah. this He's guy is not allowed to be under mentioned. the radar yeah, it's it's almost absurd that we mentioned and anybody that anybody yeah, that saw yeah. the little creator shot group though in uh, maybe Thursday night in Minneapolis did did see said squirrel. He he was he was around. So it's not yeah. it's not like he's not a person. <laughs> I, I do think Sean, you probably uh, made more money that year as a bartender than any operations role in the CAA. I would guess if you were bartending at the Inner Harbor. 
yeah, it, it was it was it was interesting. You know, you just get the money, bring it home, throw it in your top dresser, and give her the three hundred dollars at the end of the month, and hope you had some <laughs> left over. So it was quite an experience. Especially when you're working for a guy like Pat Kennedy. Well, it's it's so it funny, so. too. You mentioned, like, this is kind of the business and everyone gets hit in the face. I remember the first year I worked at Hoop Group that there were a couple guys there that worked at Towson. And one of the guys was the ops guy at Towson. And you know, we all know him. I won't use his name. But, like, I kept thinking to myself, like, man, this guy's made it. Like, this is unbelievable. And I remember, like, two weeks after, uh, you know, two weeks into my stint as a Hoop Group elite runner making $200 every seven days. I realized the guy was leaving Towson because he didn't have any, he wasn't making money. There was zero dollars. And I was like, wait a second, what? Like your director of basketball operations? Like at that time, I think I thought the Dobo at Temple made like $150,000 a year. And I remember like Johnny saying like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's a volunteer spot. I got to find something else. And I was like, man, this is really what people want to do. Like, and you just have no idea kind of what that grind is. And now the stories are funny and it's great to talk to you about it now, but there's real life problems at 23, 24, 25 that like, you got to figure it out. You know, you really just. You do. You, you definitely have to. That's, I mean, I was really lucky that, you know, found the right place to live at the right time and work for a guy who, you know, ha- had other connections to be able to get you some other money on the side through different things and stuff like that. You know, I got a lot of help too from my parents, not maybe helping me with stuff for a car or things like that. So I think a lot of young coaches, when you're figuring your way out in this business, you're going to need one or two lucky breaks and you're going to have to make some choices that aren't based on money by any means as much as, you know, a lot of your friends, they're graduating, they have jobs lined up, they have this, they have that. You're not going to be able to be in maybe some of those circles taking weekend trips to Miami <laughs> or going to California and things like that. But So much FOMO. There's so much FOMO are, going on they, as a young coach. But now you got Instagram and everything else. You can just live through them and what they're doing on their phone. Guys, we got to take a quick break. America's pastime is back. The smell of grass, the crack of the bat, and now the sensation of money burning a hole into your pocket. Yahoo Daily Fantasy Contests bring you closer than ever to the game that you love. Yahoo DFS offers single-day and week-long contests so you can pick a new team every day. To get started, go to yahoo.com backslash daily fantasy and find a contest that's right for you. You can try a 50-50 contest where the top 50% of lineups wins, Or you can try Yahoo's innovative quick match feature where they'll pair you with another player of your skill set. Or play for their larger prizes and bigger bragging rights and guaranteed prize pool contests. Yahoo Daily Fantasy also has the lowest management fees across the industry. Don't play with the other sites that charge high fees just to play. Yahoo's lower fees mean more prizes for you, the players, to win. Use the promo code POD25, that's P-O-D-2-5, for 25 bucks in pre-play when you make your first deposit. The sooner you get to playing, the sooner you can get to winning. So go to yahoo.com backslash daily fantasy to start playing today. Also, the summer's heating up, and that means fall and football are just around the corner. Join Ross Tucker as he gears up for another exciting season and speculates on what you should expect. Download new episodes of the Ross Tucker podcast and more every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One Sportsnet. And now, back to Sean Morris. Sean, what was the toughest part when you got to Towson, uh, you know, kind of getting promoted? You were there for a while. Like you said, they, they end up putting you on the road. You know, what were some of the hardest things for you as a young coach in, in that position? Uh, I think like figuring out like how you're supposed to recruit, you know, is a huge thing, obviously, with being there, uh, not having a ton of relationships in Baltimore, D.C. But, you know, for me, it's so fortunate now they're like, there's some of the people down that area now that I would consider some of my closer friends in this that 
you know, it's areas that I'll always try to go and recruit based on being down there at some of those times and taking advantage of some of those relationships that you make. But uh, just learning that part of it, because uh, you know, Coach Kennedy, when I was working for him, I learned a ton from him, but he was on the more the tail end of what his career was from Florida State and DePaul days and things like that. So you didn't get as much hands-on stuff from him uh, as some of the other head coaches I've had. So that first part, I think I had to kind of just trial and error, figure out what worked and what didn't work and see and kind of just trust yourself a little bit. That, that is interesting working. That, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. You got it. Well, I was going to say that is interesting working for, you know, I don't think guys always think that. They think like, oh, I'm working for a guy who's got a big time resume. He's been a lot of places. But if you do work for an older coach, like they kind of just slide you in there, assuming it's replaceable parts. Like you may not get day to day, like this is what you need to do. So, so how did you kind of figure it out, you know? Yeah, well, I think some of it was that. Uh, some of it was I was Coach Kennedy's like personal chauffeur, so I pick him <laughs> up every day, bring him to the office, we'd leave, we go run, do what we needed to do. I take him home, so like being in the car and just listening to stories from him or his phone conversations or just asking advice of how certain things go. Uh, I think Coach Maker when I went to Williams was a ton of that because he was still at that point in time was single up in Williamstown. So it was him and the other assistant and I, and we'd be around each other four nights a week along with every day when you're in the office. So you're just talking basketball and everything all the time, all day, every day. And you just start to develop certain philosophies you believe in, don't believe in certain ways you think the the game should be played, how you should uh, be able to develop guys, all sorts of different things that uh, the more I think you're around and the more different experience you are, you can kind of take a little bit from each guy that you really believe in yourself. Listen, we have a lot of fun on this podcast, but there is a, a, a semi-professional development part of it. And I want to ask you, how do you, how do you attack? <laughs> this is like your Bavada infomercial. Huh? Yeah, this is oh, that's good. That's this really is totally good. It. We're going to have to bleep that out because there's no way the NCAA is going to listen. And all of a sudden there's going to be problems. Like no one cares about the trial. You know, the scandal's out. Yeah, exactly. betting. You guys are the ones ruining college basketball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I want to, I, I do want to know from a professional development for young guys entering the business what would you give like a concrete element um how to develop those relationships maybe with high school coaches au coaches what was the best method that you kind of found to develop those relationships uh i i think a lot of it is trying to you know the the earlier you figure out what you want to do, I think like if there's kids right now and you're in high school and you're like, all right, I'm going to play. I know I'm good enough. Or maybe I'm a manager of a high school team. I want to coach. I think there's certain things you can start preparing yourself for now, like going to a good basketball college program, trying to become a manager while you're there, trying to become involved with certain college programs, different ways besides playing. Obviously as a player, the more you play and you're around it, you can work different camps in the summer times. You can work different events or things like that. Uh, but uh, I think as you're getting finished, as your college career is winding up, you go back to either people you know or try to be able to start uh, being as proactive as you can with that process. And if you don't believe you really have some of those connections, then you know go to places like Hoop Group or things like that because I think that just gives you access to kids, coaches, uh, AAU coaches, high school coaches, anyone, you name it, you have the ability to be around them and be around the game of basketball. 
And then you put it a little bit on yourself that you got to get lucky in this thing and meet the right people at the right time. Yeah. And I think that part, especially like with the hoop group or like, you know, whatever it is, whatever AAU tournaments or, or anything you do, because you even kind of mentioned it, you went out to Vegas with your younger brother, you kind of sat on the bench. You kind of, I do feel like you need to not necessarily find your niche, but it's like, you're not just walking up to people like handing them a resume, you know, like one of the things that Smalls will laugh about, but I'll say this, like, I loved watching basketball. So like I would make sure that like I had a coach's packet if I was selling Gatorades and whoever was on two and three up in like the Bowman rec center or whatever, like I knew who those kids were. So if it ever came up that they need somebody to remember a name, like that was something that I could do if I was, you know, going to be a GA or like before I was at Charleston or something like that. Like, and I, I think being proactive is definitely important because I do think a lot of guys just under, they just think like, I'm going to show up and I'm going to get to sit and talk to a lot of coaches. And that's not exactly the way that it works. But you do get to sit in the coach's lounge at the end of the night, maybe because you have to clean it up and you get to meet all these guys who they kind of come up in the business with you, you know, like a guy's a D3 assistant. And then all of a sudden he's a D1 ops guy and you worked with him at Hoop Group for three years. And then all of a sudden that's a guy that you can call. And so I think that's great advice. And, and I just feel like it's a situation where you do have to be, you got to be ready to work. But at the same time, you know, kind of like you said, you got to be ready for four nights a week. Like I'm going to go have beers, you know, maybe you don't want to drink Bud Light, you show up, you drink some water, but you got to kind of go through those paces to get both sides of the networking, I think. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You got to, you got to have the beers, man. None of this water shit, Tyler. <laughs> I don't want to hear this stuff. And me and Tyler are different philosophies. I was shelling out free Gatorade Diet Coke. I wasn't worried about coaches packets. I was just hooking people up. See, I'm a schemer. So that's how but, but, I, but I, my, my point is, like, it's funny, like, we make jokes about, you know, and Hooper has this wild reputation for, like, all the stories you see and all the people that you meet and stuff. And I've talked about this before. Like, we've met guys who are unbelievable D3 coaches, D1 coaches, and, like, you have no idea because they're just animals. Like, it's like, oh, I'm going to eat 500 wings and, and drink 27 beers out of a keg. But you got to kind of play the game a little bit. Like, you have to have a good time. You got th- That's how you forge some of those relationships. Like, yes, prove that you know what you're talking about when it comes to basketball. But at the same time, like, Sean, I don't want to talk out of turn, but it sounds like when you went up to Williams, like it was a lot more fun for you too. Like it was a learning experience, but it sounds like you really enjoyed yourself. Maybe there was a little bit less pressure. It was probably for me, like obviously I was coming from Baltimore, living downtown in the city. So there was like Tuesday through Sunday at eight o'clock. You had something to do. Right. Your personal life was fun. Yeah, exactly. It was like, all right, this, this special at this bar, this bar or whatever. But when you got to Williamstown, I mean, Williamstown's like a one-stop light, small, quaint college town that wasn't a lot going on. And especially if you were a 26-year-old, you know, guy that just left more of a city or had had some experience and you're at a Division three school. So it was like you did basketball almost all day, all the time, and then figured your daily life around that. Uh, so that part of it really just allowed you to focus on a lot less stuff because even though, you know, the thing that I think that's great is there's some of these guys out there now that, oh, should I be Division One GA? Do I be a Division Three assistant? I think there's no real clear-cut way of how you break into this business because, like, there's young Division Three guys. You're the equipment manager. You're the academic liaison. You're, you might be the JV coach for the JV team. You, you have so many different responsibilities at different levels that you start to learn how to do things. And I think the higher up you get, the more centralized your job becomes, but just the more pressure and more uh, just responsibility comes with it. 
Last question for me before we uh, head over to segments. Uh, ultimate career goals, clearly for, you know, if you're in this business, majority of the time you want to be a head coach and that's the ultimate career goal. But how are you goal setting, you know, to reach that? And, you know, what are you doing on a daily and, you know, annual basis to kind of reach that goal? Uh, obviously, the being a head coach is something you always want to be able to do. Uh, you know, I think I've been a big believer of trying to let your work do a lot more of your talking than yourself, you know, and being able to promote yourself. You have to be able to do it at certain levels to this, but let the work you've done talk a lot more for you than yourself. Uh, and then also being able to know that you have the right people that can make phone calls for you or say the right type of things about you. Um, and then be able to, understand like what jobs make sense for you what jobs don't but instead of worrying about where you're trying to get to focus on the one that you have now yeah and i i agree uh, 100 cliche thing to say but, but, it, but it's so true because sometimes you can get you know you get all caught up in this stuff like oh, i want to be a head coach I be a, and then you you go somewhere that's you know it's not the right fit or or even as an assistant you go from a different job to another job because grass is always greener type of thing and it's not the right move for you so I think you do have to always be wary of that and understand you know who you are and kind of where your niche is as well well and also and also too like I think guys get focused on like you know for you Sean you've actually spent a, a few years at each specific place so it's not like you were at Towson one year, Williams one year, BU one year, Quinnipiac one year, you've gotten a chance to kind of like really grow within those spots. And I think that, you know, that, that seems a little bit more rare now because guys are always, you know, like you said, you, you've got to, sometimes you worry about money, you worry about role. Like some guys do worry about titles. Do you think that this has been something that's really helped you in your development, that you've gotten a chance to kind of really grow and learn at each specific stop? Oh, a ton. You know, I think it's huge for myself of being able to, see different things you work for these four head coaches that are all you know very successful in their own right but have learned from very successful people that even things that i don't agree with or things that have gone wrong you know i think things going wrong can help you in coaching more than going right sometimes because you have to find a way to fix it sometimes things go right and you just think it's going right for the sake of it but uh you know it gives you a chance to learn from different philosophies of how to do things and what to be able to do so I think that's been a huge benefit for myself uh, in in being at working how, especially even you go to Towson's decent state school, Williams is maybe one of the best schools in the world, to BU, which is a Patriot League school, to Quinnipiac, which is another good school, but you're in a different level of conference. So you've been different places where you got to recruit different type of kids and things like that too. Yeah. And I actually think the one part, what you were saying about like learning from what you did wrong. And unfortunately, at division one level, you don't always get that chance. Like sometimes it's too late or you panic and, you know, maybe you drastically change something that, that ends up hurting you. And I, I think, but that is an interesting point because you have to be open and reflective, even as an assistant too, I would guess too, right? Like you need to think about, you know, I didn't get this kid. Like why, you know, was it my relationship? Like, and, and I, I think, are you the type of guy, Sean, that after each season, you're, you're kind of sitting down and like, all right, what can I do better? What did I do well this year? What did I do wrong this year? For sure. I think you always want to get that feedback from guy, the players, the coaches you work with, uh, yourself in terms of how you reflect after each season. Because 
the, the name of the game is getting better at what you do as individual, as a staff, as your team, as your program. You just want to keep moving forward. That's been a big thing for us in our program is trying to start each season and by the time we're getting to February and March, be able to play our best basketball. And for the last two seasons, uh, we've been able to do that. You know, this past one in our conference tournament ran into Monmouth at the wrong night where, you know, you, you make 18 threes, you think you're winning that game 99 out of a hundred times, but we didn't, you know, and then had some postseason and, you know, didn't come out uh, on the right end. But the, the trajectory of our program right now, I think is going in the right direction, but there's definitely things that we sit there and know like, Hey, we got to get better at this. We got to get better at that. And that's the thing as coaches that you always want to look at after each season and know that you're moving it in the right direction. All right. Heading into segments, we've got coach speak up first. We take a couple quotes from coaches and then we'll kind of give, let you uh, give a chance to give us your take on the quotes. Me and you, this one's from Matt Painter on recruiting rankings. Me and you and our grandmothers can sit down and say these 20 guys are the best in the country. But from like 21 to 300, it's a crapshoot. How do you know what's inside somebody? Uh, Matt Painter, and I think he's saying something a lot of us know and feel being in this industry is it really is. You know, the top 20 guys, yeah, they're surefire. And maybe even at some years, it's the top 30. But from there and on, you really don't know. So how do you go about identifying guys that can be key players in your program, given the amount of guys that you have to recruit? This isn't like, you know, you talk about Duke and Kentucky and then specific levels. They have to recruit, you know, a finite amount of guys that really fit. But, you know, you've got to have a wide, wide list. So how do you kind of identify those guys? Uh, I, I think a lot of it is knowing that you got to be smart and intelligent with your time of who you can get, who you're kind of wasting your time to, do you want to look good in a kid's like top 10 list? Like, yeah. well, you have no chance of getting them or do you want to go focus your time and effort on a kid that maybe right now has some lower level schools, but you think he's better than what other people think. So a lot of that is being smart and intelligent. And I think trusting yourself, there's, plenty of kids you read about, oh, he had two division one offers. And a reason he had two offers is because the other 349 schools wouldn't offer him because they didn't want to be the third one. They want to offer the other kid that has 18. That Great point. Great point. Tells you he's good. Well, yeah, we all know that kid's good, but go find certain guys that, you know, maybe have a couple scholarships. Uh, like we have a kid with us, Rich Kelly, that's from right here in Fairfield, Connecticut. I mean, he probably played in front of all the schools in New England and didn't have anything and came to us when we got the job, thank God, you know, like 40 points as a freshman was all rookie was second team all league now. And there's probably 30 schools that would take him if he said he wanted to transfer tomorrow. So you have to be able to trust certain things that you see and know that, you know, uh, who's good at Quinnipiac doesn't necessarily mean he's good at Boston university or is good at Towson. Like, so each school, and coach has their certain fit that fits the way they play. So I think the best coaches uh, that can evaluate know, hey, this they see a kid do something as simple as like Coach Beeline. If he sees a kid pivot a certain way, he likes them. You know, there's not a lot of coaches that because you can reverse pivot in a certain direction that are going to recruit you. And he's a guy that if he sees it, he's going to look at you more. You have to know what you need. 
we were we had a at Elevate Hoops. We had a when Eli Brooks was playing for Jersey Shore Warriors. Billy Billy Donlin had like just joined the Michigan staff. I think he had just left Wright State, and uh, he was going. He was working at Michigan, and he flew in to watch the kid Eli Brooks. And he was the only kid he was really watching. So he comes out. He's standing in the hallway or whatever. He's talking to me and uh, Rob, and he was like, "All right." Beeline's getting on a flight, like, please, God, this kid has got to make shots tomorrow. Like, if he doesn't shoot it well, he's not getting recruited. Like, he has to, as a guard for John Beeline, like, you got to make, be able to shoot. And he was like, if he doesn't have a good shooting day, then this is going to, I'm going to look like an idiot. It's my first recruit with John Beeline. Like, he's got to do it. And I just laughed so hard because I know guys are like that. Like, some guys really like skilled bigs, you know? Some guys really, like you said, like, they like guys who can really dribble and pass. It's, so it's it's a really interesting like kind of situation, but that's the John Beeline one I remember. It was like he will not recruit guys that can't make shots. Yes, if he can't, and there's and then there's other guys like if you can get up and defend ninety four by fifty feet and pick your man up like Coach Huggins, you know, like playing his system. So like where a guy's ranks does not determine. I think at all. I think it shows his individual talent, but that doesn't fit when you got four other guys on the court with you. Sean, how long does it take you as an assistant to know what your head coach, what type of guy your head coach wants? Like when you go to work for Quinnipiac two years ago and you guys are recruiting really heavy, did you have to sit with Baker for a little while and be like, hey, kind of talk me through what your thought process is? Are you watching film of recruits or specific players? Like how, how do you find that balance? Yeah, I think a lot of it's conversations. It's funny for us because – when Baker first got the job at Quinnipiac, he got the job. He had his press conference. The other, He kind of had the staff put together before that point, so we were all up there for the press conference. He gets it, and then we start talking recruiting literally you know, an hour and a half after his press conference. And then you know, we had our families there. The families left, and the school's like, hey, we're going to take care of you guys. We're going to put you up in some housing while you're here. We get our stuff, and we go down – or outside the arena, down the hill around campus, and they gave us like this college borderline frat house for us to live in as our staff when we first got the job there. So that's where we lived for the first month and a half. So we'd be in the office all day together. You'd leave at a certain time. You'd go get dinner, get a workout, make calls, and then you'd be back drinking some beers, talking basketball and recruiting until 11 or 12 o'clock at night every night. So we learned it pretty quickly. And a lot of it was those conversations that you have amongst your staff. Uh, and then I think as you start to learn what style you're going to play, you have to learn kind of what fits, what doesn't work. But a, a lot of it is, I don't think you ever really totally grasp it until you have enough examples of what does and doesn't work. But more of it is based on too, like a kid's mentality and how coachable they are just as much as what you see when you see him play. Right, learning from making calls and talking to people around them and stuff like that because it's not just what happens on the court. Because I think one of the biggest things that kids from high school to college, if you don't love playing basketball, it's not going to work regardless of how talented. It'll always catch up to you at some point in time. If you don't love being in the gym and the coaches are going to force you to get in the gym, then it's not going to work for you. Uh, next one, this is uh, this has kind of become a hot button issue, especially for a guy, you know, you've been at the low major level for the last couple of years. This is from uh, Duger Bauckham, who is at the Citadel now. But the, the frustrating thing for coaches at our level, we try to do our best in evaluating talent and you find guys that fit your style and culture and can help your team. A lot of times where there are only offers, we do a good job of evaluating them. Then kids come and flourish and then we're left empty handed when they leave. Sean, do you feel as though the transfer rules have really put you guys in a bind? And, uh, you know, 
what can you kind of do to combat what's going on with this sort of the massive amount of kids kind of transferring up levels? Uh, I, 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 you probably at a little bit of a disadvantage, but it's also, it, it is what it is. You know, there's higher level schools that if kids play to a certain level and they want to play at another level above, you're never going to be able to change that regardless of what the rules are, so to speak. I think the thing that coaches, instead of complaining about the rules, I think if they spent more time working on uh, how much that kid trusts them or making that kid realize like how much more beneficial these numbers in our system can be rather than going up and maybe you lose your role or something else, that each of those individual cases, I think coaches need to be able to do a better job of showing what they have rather than complaining about it. Cause I mean, while I was at BU, one of our selling points was telling kids they'd be able to graduate early. And I bet you five or six of those kids, if they left, they would have had mid major plus offers easy. And three or four of them would have been high major kids, but they stayed because one BU helped because it was an unbelievable graduate degree too. But two, they trusted the coaches and staff that we had there. Cam Young this year for us got his waiver, but he graduated. I mean, he could have gone to four or five Pac-12 schools, one of them, you know, Mountain West schools, people back on the West Coast. And he trusted us as a staff and saw that, you know, we helped put him in a position to have some of the best numbers he ever had in college. So he stayed with us and now he's working out for NBA teams and having a chance to see where his dream can take him. So then I've also coached guys like Mo Watson at BU who went to Creighton and, you know, was one of the best point guards in the division one. So I think it can work for kids, both sides of it. They have to pick out what's best for them, but coaches, I think we all have to be able to do a better job of just being able to kind of promote ourselves and not worry about it, knowing that it's going to happen. All right, we're moving on to our next segment. It's City Review. You know, we're excited about this one. We're not going to make you do Hamden. We're going to do Boston. We're all taking a nice trip, a nice weekend, me, you, and Tyler. Boston, Massachusetts. Give me three restaurants, two bars, and one activity. Take it away. Uh, the restaurants, we got to go. So our activity, we're just going to start with the activity because you're going to a Red Sox game. So okay, I love even it. Even if you don't want to go Red Sox game, the other great thing to do while you're up there and you don't have to waste time with sitting in those uncomfortable seats, is you go get tours of Fenway Park, especially in the spring and summertime, which we did a lot with some of our recruits when we were up there. That was one thing with some of the families. That's awesome. Uh, and then while you're there, if as long as we're, uh, the three of us going, you got the bleacher bar, which is a bar in the uh, bleachers of Fenway Park that has a big window that you can see onto the field while you're in the bar drinking on the outside of the stadium, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. uh, I'm definitely down for a Red Sox game. Never been to Fenway, so I'm totally in. There you go. Uh, let's see. Well, uh, another restaurant you got to go somewhere north end. Great place we went was Biore for north end. You got to go there while you're in town to get some nice home cooking Italian meal. Uh, great place to be able to go walk around, get some dessert from Mike's Pastries when you're done. Ooh, now, what what's Mike's Pastries? Now they got to have a go to there. Like, is it is it like a cannoli or is it like yeah, an they eclair? got all, 
all the Italian stuff, cupcakes, cookie. They got everything. Oh, little pizzel, little pizzel. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody look uh, up what a pizzel is. It's delicious around the holidays. You take a nice glass of milk, dunk it in. Maybe even do it in your coffee in the morning. Yeah, that's it's coffee or you put it in your gelato, I thought. Like that's, that's what it is. Yeah. You can do whatever. It's a nice, it's a nice, thin, crisp bite. That's the point of a pizzel. <laughs> oh, let's say we got to get a couple bars. If you're trying to class it up, uh, I know a friend of the podcast, Dwayne Killings, you got to go to Liberty Hotel if you're trying to class it up. Yeah, I yeah we know. You might have to pay some money to be able to have some fun at that place in terms of making sure you got a nice little lounge outside. But summertime at the Liberty Hotel is one of the best bars I've ever that, That's why he's Marquette guy. He'll, yeah. he'll take care of the bill. One thing that was always good about Dwayne Jones is he would take you to these outrageous spots. You Maybe you were a GA at Temple University. He'd be like, hey, let's go somewhere. And then a cocktail would be like $19. And he did always pay for the bill while he was there. So I will 100% say for Dwayne Killings, he would take you to these great spots you could never afford by yourself. Then like a couple years later, you could take girls there and Dwayne would have shown you like the good place. But he always picked up the bill when he was taking somebody out to a nice spot. Kills is that type of guy. No doubt. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, what about seafood, Sean? Like, what if we want to get like a lobster roll or something like that? I didn't venture to that. That's probably not, not what I'd be able to tell you right there. Uh, he's not, he's not, he's not a Dwayne Lee guy. He's not yeah, a seafood not guy. That. No, you brought up Charleston earlier, though. I can give you my favorite seafood place in Charleston. Let's you know? do it. That's what do you me. got? Uh, Hanks. Hanks. Yeah. It's awesome. That my that, wife and I got married in Charleston. So nah, Char- Charleston restaurant scene, un- it's just unbelievable. We got a buddy, Smalls and I have a buddy that was there this past weekend for a bachelor party, and he uh, went to Hall's Chop House and told us it was the best meal of his entire life. Like, he was texting us the whole time. But Charleston's just different, man. Yeah, I just, it's different. Special place right there. All yeah. right, we got we to get our Charleston shit out of the way. Uh, <laughs> what do we got to go back to a bar in Boston? Yeah, one more, one more bar. Uh, let's go. I mean, you gotta go. <sighs> no, that's. I, I, if it's still open, we gotta see if Atlantic Beer Garden is in Seaport. Okay, another great summertime spot. So as long as the uh, it was in the process of maybe getting knocked down to build high rise apartments, like they need more apartments in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> that was an awesome spot on the water down there. I'm always in for a good beer garden, you know, outside in the summer, springtime, it's always perfect. So any beer garden, but that one, we'll, we'll find it out. We can always use this little thing. I like to call Google and we'll find out. Yeah. Bovada, Bovada over under for smallest summer beers is like 28. If we go to a beer garden, as long as we get, as long as we get there like one Oh five PM and we can be there until like 10 or 11. Although he did say the other day that he had six beers and the next day he was feeling like a little bit, uh, immobile. I'm, I'm becoming I'm becoming older and I'm having more difficulty with hangovers. So I'm looking for a remedy constantly. Oh. That's the worst part of it now, man. You can have fun until you wake up the next day. All right, let's uh, let's do ten touches. I got the first five. Uh, Thirty second rapid fire. Uh, who's the funniest person you've ever worked with or you've ever coached? Tom Pacora. Oh yeah, he just actually your whole staff is pretty funny now, Sean. Even Baker has like a pretty funny sense oh, of humor. Baker has a very good sense of humor. TP is hilarious. That guy, that guy keeps the office interesting. Uh, what is your worst basketball travel experience? Uh, I went overseas with a travel team, and we were going overseas to Prague in Germany, and we were in Prague 
And in the middle of the night, we got woken up from our hotel. We got like evacuated to the roof of the hotel because it had rained for like 24 straight hours there. And the next thing you knew, the whole entire city was underwater. It was like wow. up to we, we got evacuated. We got put in a different hotel. Needless to say, we never made it to Germany, but <laughs> we hung out in Prague for like <laughs> nine days before we came home. Uh, what, what are you currently binge watching? Uh, obviously just finished Game of Thrones. Uh, you got Billions going on right now as well. It's been a bit better season for Billions than Game of Thrones, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, Game of Thrones just, you know, didn't we'll really have a wow factor in any episode. They set it up for so many seasons, and I was, like, craving it. And then really nothing, and it really let me down. Spoiler alert, the last episode star. <laughs> people people were very mad online uh, on Sunday night. That is 100% true. There were people just not happy. Game of Thrones let them down, all the, all the hours of binging. What's the uh, what's the best game you've ever been a part of as a coach? Uh, as a coach, I would say when we Williams at the Final Four the first year we played Guilford. We were down. I think we scored sixty two points in the second half. We scored like eighteen of our last twenty possessions of the game. It was unbelievable to go to the national championship. Okay. Who is, in your career, who's been the hardest player to game plan against? Uh, as much as I probably still can't remember it now, but when I was at first at Towson and we played Northeastern, they had J.J. Barea. <laughs> he was the best player I've ever watched sitting on a bench. So <laughs> That's awesome. So quick. He, he, was- ta- he talked shit to your team in Spanish and went right by him and did whatever he wanted. He, didn't he average like he was like averaging like ten assists a game too yeah, for like his, it was ridiculous was killing people. What would you do if you weren't coaching? Uh, probably be in sales, Medi- <laughs> medical device sales. That yeah. Yeah. nice big money. I love it. What would you change about college basketball? Uh, one, I would definitely go to quarters. I think it makes too much sense not to. Uh, and just being an offensive coach, I would love to get the ball advanced end of a game Sean what would you do if you went to quarters what do they do do they just keep fouls the same or just go to NBA rules where it's five fouls five fouls yeah I think it'd make it go quicker I think you'd take away some of the timeouts that you don't need and it's just to get the game more you know I think the college has done a ton of things to try to mimic the NBA but there's other things they go the opposite it just doesn't uh if you're going to try to get some uh, consistency to it I think it makes sense yeah, it seems like a no-brainer, but you know, commercial they've got their whole commercial and TV timeout structure, but we won't get into that. What's your pregame routine? You have any superstitions? Uh, I don't really have one now. It's pregame meal home, run around with my kids for like an hour and then uh head back over to the gym. Did you have one when you were a player? Uh, I did. I would definitely try to go take a nap after the pregame meal, wake up and then get ready to go. I love I it. I always took a shower before the game. Okay, I like that. Most embarrassing moment as a coach? Uh, one of the huddles when I was at BU, it was remember like had the clipboard, was talking to the team like in it, trying to diagram a play towards the end of the game, was squatting down. 
in the middle of trying to diagram, it literally just leaned back and just fell flat on my back. <laughs> I was like on my toes trying to balance myself. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's worse than ripping the pants because I yeah, thought that's but, where that was going. I actually, like at least that just ended there. Like I didn't have to put a towel around my pants. So I could fall over that one any day. Yeah, you can't pull it off like Ed Cooley, but hidden <laughs> talent. Do you have any hidden secret talent? Uh, I do not, no. No, that that's a great answer. Two future podcast guests for us. Uh let's see. We gotta go. You guys do high school coaches? We would, yeah. Yeah. Gotta get my man Matt Griffin at Roman Catholic on there. Okay. Just had he's got some Philly hoops to be able to sell. And uh how about I we gotta get my guy Jerry McNamara up at Syracuse. Let's no. get him. GMAC there, yeah. Let's we'll see. I, I wonder what Jim Beheim would, would think about like someone on his staff doing like a recorded interview. He might not be happy with that. Or he might not know how to get podcasts, so it doesn't really yeah, matter. So he, won't <laughs> know what, he won't know what happens. He'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no chance. Yep. Uh all right. Last segment. Same two questions to every guest. We call these uh parting shots. I got the first one. Sean, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Uh life's all about relationships. And so with that, you know, I think regardless of what you're doing in your life, you got to be able to build on those, trust them and uh, make sure they continue to grow. Face to face with your 24 year old self. What are you telling that person? I think that's like one of the things that you talk, you know, you get stuck going places with your wife or certain things that you're around other people and like, oh, hey, what do you do? And you explain it and. Like also, what do you do like if you don't have games or what do you do? like they don't understand what a coaches really do and how much you have to be able to do, I think, at certain times. But it, I the thing I always say to people is I don't really feel like I ever go to work with what well, at the end of the day, you're coaching basketball and you're trying to help kids grow up and become, you know, from young men to adults that can go on and be able to be, you know, productive people in our world. And, you know, if you're in college and that's not part of what you're trying to do, then you're cheating the kids. Yeah. So there you go. That was, we got, we got to the answer of the, uh, you know, don't feel like you go to work every day. How about that? That works for, for good yeah. advice. Yeah, we go. uh, so that's, uh, that's it for us, Sean. I appreciate you taking the time, uh, especially, like I said, on a, Monday night. Uh, he is at S Morris Q U on Twitter. If you guys want to go follow him and you know, Sean, I hope you do get some time off. I know it's been a busy couple months now that the season's over and you know, you have some time now that it's summer one to get to know your guys, but we appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll be watching for you in the future, man. Thanks, man. Take care guys.